You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Please grab a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. That's where we'll be together today as we continue on in our series. It's great to see so many of you. It's great to see, great to see you. Smiling faces, love that. Love that so much and so thankful for that as well. Romans chapter 8, again, our series, Life is Too Short Not to Grow in Jesus Christ. Uh, we've been in Romans chapter 6, 7, and now again in chapters 8. It's been beautiful and powerful. And uh, what we do here at Whole Bible Church, this is really what we consider and call expositional preaching. We're just taking the Bible, opening it up, starting at verse 1, and we just keep going. Expositional preaching is so advantageous. Why? Because God is the one who sets the menu. Um, If it was up to us, we would choose the food we like. We do that all the time. We choose the food we like, but because God has written his word, and we start verse by verse, uh, God chooses the food we need. Not always the ones we like, but that's the ones that give us life. That is what the Holy Spirit has written down. I'm so thankful for that too, and the freedom and the life change and the blessing that it brings as well. And on that note, as we go through Romans 6, 7, and 8, and verse by verse, and just take a look at this on the screen here, we notice this, just when you're studying Scripture, right, there's just some certain basic things you want to be really mindful of. So in Romans 6, the word sin is mentioned there 17 times. So when, when God's word is mentioning the word over and over and over again, that's a strong clue. There's a, there's a message that's trying to be sent there. In the case of Romans 6, is that this, in Christ, we are dead to sin, and now we are alive to God. And Paul speaks over and over. In Romans 7, the word law is mentioned 23 times. That's what that chapter is about. How do we now as believers relate to the law? Again, the commandments, the old covenant, the old testament. How do we relate? as we are seeking to be released from the law and now have freedom in Jesus Christ and and how our sin relates to the law now but the new covenant in the Lord. In Romans 8, we see that the Holy Spirit, capital S Spirit, is mentioned 20 times in Romans chapter 8. And here comes the power. Here comes the freedom. Here is the path and the person that gives us the freedom and the power in the Christian life um, as well. So again, it's hard to overstate how much the Bible speaks of and the significance of, listen, the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's hard to overstate that. And um, by the way, hey, you just got baptized. That's so great. Bless your heart. I loved it so much. It's so good. Be encouraged, all right? Bless you, darling. Love that. It's hard to overstate the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you right now, too, how much emphasis do you place on the person of the Holy Spirit in your life? Let's say the last day, week, month, year. What kind of emphasis are you placing on the third person, again, of the Trinity, of the Godhead, God himself, the Holy Spirit, again, not in it, a person? How much emphasis are you placing? The Christian life begins with the Holy Spirit. The Christian life continues with the Holy Spirit. And the Christian life ends in glorification with the Holy Spirit. It's him. We need him so much. Everything we're seeking to do, all the lives we seek to be changed, it will not happen. All the sin we desire to kill is impossible apart from the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you just look at Romans 8, verse 9, if you look at that in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, believer, but in the Spirit, 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And who's this for today? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Holy Spirit is everything. He is the guarantee that we are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, let me bottom line it today. It is impossible to see sanctification. Big word meaning grow in Christ. It is impossible to grow in Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. It is theologically impossible to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. We must have, we must seek, we must long for the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit of those of us who are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence our sermon title today, Oh to Live, Oh to Live by and in the Holy Spirit. And so right now I'm going to pray, but I'm just begging you, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? We are entering into a battle again. Every time we gather like this, every time we open God's word, the spiritual battle begins and is ignited. Would you pray with me? Pray with me right now that the Holy Spirit will do exactly what he wants to do here and overflow whoever's watching online as well. Let's do that. Father, we so gladly take a posture of humility because we are nothing without you. We can do nothing. We are weak and so frail. As the text says today, right now, Lord, because if we are saved in Jesus Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters, we cry then, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Papa. We are children in need of our Father. We desperately need you. We desperately need you. And so I just imagine the Father you are, perfect, and how you rush to the aid and so quickly move to the care of your children who we are called to cry out, to cry out to you. Abba, Father, please, Lord, would you help today? Would you break us free from darkness? Would you remove the lies of the enemy? And you empower us today to learn more what it means to actually kill our sin. We pray this together, and if you agree, in Jesus' name, you can say amen. Romans 8, verse 12. Take a look. Here's our text. Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters... Stemming from, obviously, verses 1 to 11 in the gospel, we are debtors not to the flesh. We don't owe our sin anything. I added that. To live according to the flesh. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Notice, if by the Spirit you put to death, you kill, you mortify the flesh, the deeds of the body. Notice the promise. You will live. Why? For all who are led by the Spirit of God. Those who have the Spirit of God in them, those who the orientation of their lives are led by God's Spirit, they are sons and daughters of God, guaranteed. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Circle, underline, highlight. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs, unbelievable with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Oh, I mean, you just read this passage. Oh, to live in the Holy Spirit and to be led by the Holy Spirit. Here's our first truth today as we emphasize the person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Number one, by the Holy Spirit, I am obliged to kill my sin. Maybe that caught you off guard. It's right there in the word. 
I am obliged, saved in Christ by the Holy Spirit, to kill my sin. Verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die eternal separation from God. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you are seeing sanctification in your life, you will live. You will live eternally. That is a sign that Jesus Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit has made you a new creation. So again, the implications here, right? Verses 1 to 11. Because of the gospel, because you're alive in Christ, because you have new life in Jesus Christ, what the Bible's telling us now, listen carefully, this is one of the main points of this passage. If you're alive in Christ, the Holy Spirit's in you, you and I now, we now have an obligation to the Holy Spirit. Because of what he's done in us, because we've been saved, because we are now temples of the Holy Spirit, we now have an obligation to the Holy Spirit. Notice, now saved in Christ, we do not have an obligation to our sinful flesh. That's right there in verse 12. In fact, the New American Standard translates verse 12, so then, we are under obligation not to the flesh. This makes sense, doesn't it? Like if you're saved in Christ, you're set free by grace through faith. The old self is crucified. You're a new creation. The Holy Spirit now lives within you. How could then the believer now live according to the flesh? No way, man. We've been, that's, that, that's done. That's dead. We are now under obligation to the Holy Spirit. We have no obligation to the flesh. Here's what the flesh seeks to do to us every day. The flesh, though, tries to distract us and deceive us and say, you owe me. You owe me, man. Let's see some payment now. You are in debt to me. But the gospel says, no, au contraire, mon frere, no, 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 no. I am alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. I owe my flesh nothing. In fact, the Bible, though, is telling us here in verses 12 and 13, the person who consistently lives in the sinful desires of the flesh, if the habitual parts of their lives is in sin, the Bible tells us that person can't be saved. Okay, so meaning, doesn't mean you never sin, but the person that the whole pattern of their lives is indulging the flesh month by month and year by year and decade by decade, that person is dead. That's what verse 12 and 13 say. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's not physical death. That's spiritual, eternal death. That's hell. That's what it's talking about here. It warns us we eternally will be separated from God. That's the unbeliever. But now contrasting the believer, but if by the Spirit, believer only, if by the Spirit you kill, you mortify, you put to death the deeds of the body progressively, that's a sign you will live forever. That's the indication that you will have eternal life. So the flesh always equals death. The Holy Spirit always equals life. So the Bible warns us in several places. 1 Corinthians 6 is one. If you practice such sins, such sexual sins, such sorcery, such idolatry, if your habit and lifestyle is of sin, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible's very clear. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, well, that means you are led by the Holy Spirit, which means you must be alive in 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the contrast in verse 13 there. But if by the Spirit you put to death, right? You're a new creation. You're in Jesus Christ. Now, listen, church. We then, alive in Christ, are under obligation by the Holy Spirit, ready to kill our sin progressively. This is what, again, Romans 8, verses 12 and 13. We are obligated by the power of the Holy Spirit with the desire, again, within ourselves to see sin destroyed. Just by way of summary here in verse 13, I want you to learn here that, number one, growth for the believer in Christ is not optional. Every true believer, you're gonna have bad days, and we've learned all this through our series so far. You can go back and listen again, whatever. There's good days and bad days, but the, again, bouncing a yo-yo, walking up the stairs. That's growth in Christ, right? Good day, bad day, good day, bad day, but the progression and the trajectory is this. If I'm truly saved, I have to grow. I cannot stay the same forever. It's impossible to be truly saved and not grow. Now, here's the key, though. The Holy Spirit is the game changer. It's not legalism. It's not self-effort. It's not trying to do good deeds so people around will be impressed with me. It has to be by the Holy Spirit of God and I desire for him to fill me. The Holy Spirit's the game changer, and what we see there, if by the Spirit you put to death, that's a violent term, man, mortify to kill. The battle's on, man. Like, you're gonna see life in Jesus Christ and growth, it's gonna be a battle. It's a war. It's waging against us. Growth is an optional. Is an optional. The Holy Spirit's the game changer, and the battle, I mean, like, wake up and smell reality here. It's gonna be tough, but the Holy Spirit is the one to empower us to see us, again, kill the flesh. Let's just break down again that second part. The Holy Spirit is the game changer. But if by the Spirit you put to death, uh, Chris Lungard provides a helpful illustration, if we try to kill our flesh on our own, if not by the Spirit. He describes it, it's like a biology teacher handing you a live wolverine and asks you to dissect it. And you can calm the wolverine down. You can try to talk smooth words into it. The wolverine whisperer you might be, and you might be able to maybe get it to be still for a little bit. But the moment you take a knife and begin to cut open a live wolverine, two words, you're dead, right? You're dead. We cannot kill our flesh on our own. That's why many of us have struggled for so long. We keep trying to defeat our sin on our own strength. It's impossible. But if by the Spirit, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. See, if we're gonna see victory over sin in our lives, we have to recognize the battle, but understand the power source and whom it is that allows us to see victory over such sin. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that cuts the root of sin right at the root. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us a hatred for sin. When the Holy Spirit's working within us, he causes us to feel a hatred for sin, but a love for what is good and for Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that, that heats up our affections for the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the leading for repentance and softens our heart for prayer. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the strength for the victory and the triumph over the sin that has held us back for so long. And there's hundreds and hundreds of testimonies across this room right now that would testify to victory over sin by the Holy Spirit, by the grace of Jesus Christ, and the desire in ourselves to see such victory. Because if you notice in verse 13, this is so key too. 
But if by the Spirit, what's the next word there? Don't look at me, look down. But if by the Spirit, you, you, that small word there, you. You see that there? This means, church, we are assumed and we are expected to actively seek the power of the Holy Spirit to see sin put down in our lives. We, though, if by the Spirit, you, believer, if by the Spirit, you. So this is when we learn justification. What is justification? We learned all this through this series like 10 times. Okay, but I'll say it again. Justification is the legal declaration that you are innocent from the penalty of sin. It happens at conversion, okay? Justification, that's 100% God. You cannot save yourself. That's 100% God. He's the only one. He stands before you. He says, you've believed in my son, Jesus. You have received his righteousness. Jesus has taken on your sin. I see you now as innocent. Gavel down. You are justified in my sight, God says, never to be changed. 100% God. Sanctification is different. Sanctification, growing in Christ, is God and us. Sanctification, the power of the Holy Spirit, if by the Spirit you Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 29, I strive, I strive with all his energy that he works in me exactly. Paul says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God who works in me to work out. See, I strive, I pursue, I long with all his energy by the Spirit, you. But the point here is, church, the point is in your church, sanctification does not work within robots. We are not robots. We wake up each day with the choice towards God or away from God. You are here today. You have made a choice, an intentional choice to gather. It's so good to see you. And it is so good to be here in this way. You have made an intentional choice. Most of you completely willingly. Some of you may be dragged, but that's, God can use that too, okay? Most of you, you are here by choice as in it. You woke up, you got dressed, had a cup of coffee, and you said, I'm going to church in the pursuit of God. You decided that God didn't make you do that. That's a choice. But by the Holy Spirit. And we start to see the deeds of the body put to death, how powerful that becomes, you see, if by the Spirit you kill the flesh, decisions every day we make. John Stott, he said it this way, and I really, really love this on practice if we don't get it the first time around. He says, there's a kind of life that leads to death. This first part's the world, okay? I actually read this morning, Proverbs 14. There's a way that seems right to man, world, but its end is death. That's a whole world. There's a way that seems right. Oh, I do this. The culture loves me. I do this. And everyone accepts me. I do this. I'm like, whatever. I get to this. I love my sin. I love sin. I love sin. I pursue all the things that God says is sinful and blasphemous. I do that. It seems like it's right in life. In the end, though, it's going to be a rude awakening because the reality, all those things in sin leads to death. However, there's a kind of death to self, death to sin, to kill the flesh that actually leads to life, which in the end will lead to everlasting life. See, this takes faith. This takes no faith. This is just everyone likes me. I'm accepted by the culture. This is the reality of the gospel. There's a kind of death put to death that deeds the body and you will live. And you will live. Most people do this. Few people, but by grace and faith and following the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ do this. And in the end, in the end, it's all gonna be worked out 
And there's a kind of death that leads to life here now and ultimately in the time to come. Let's be so clear from verse 13 too. It is both right and biblical to hate your sin and to kill your sin. Those phrases aren't used a lot in Christianity. They should be. It's incredibly biblical. It is right and appropriate and commanded in Scripture to not only hate your sin, but to put to death your sin. John Owen said it this way, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that's the battle we face every day, every single day. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that's why Romans 8 is right here because this is what we're called to do to kill sin. So one of the great ways we know that we're really growing in Lord Jesus Christ, one of the great ways we know we're filled with the Holy Spirit is we're starting to hate our sin more. Like you see that lustful image that has been ruining your affections and ruining your life and ruining your marriage and ruining your walk with Christ and you see that lustful image and as you repent of that and you seek to break free from that, all of a sudden the worship of sin and lust becomes the worship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit gives you the eyes to see what that lustful image actually is. It's death to your soul. It's the enemy of your life. It's that which seeks to attack you and rob you of joy and love and true purpose and fulfillment and you are filled with a righteous indignation and you hate it. You see it for what it is. It is from the pit of hell and Satan himself and you desire to not only hate it on the table but get out a strong spiritual blade and cut it to pieces because it only desires to bring you to hell. You see, that's what starts to happen. You don't trifle with it. You don't play with it. You want to kill it by the spirit but you have to take again the opportunity God's strength to do such things. That is a sign you are growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. An increasing hatred for that. Maybe it's gossip in your life. You've gossiped for so many years. It's rotting you from the inside. The Holy Spirit causes you to hate the gossip within that is rotting your relationships. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's sexual immorality. Maybe it's the sin. This is a huge one in the last two years across the church and society. Resentment. Resentment. There's so much resentment all over the place. They don't think that I think. They don't do what I do. They do this. I don't do that. I'm judging them. I'm resenting them. I'm bitter towards them. There's this Satan has had a heyday of filling so many thousands and thousands of lives and relationships and families and beyond with bitterness leading to resentment and many are defiled. Satan is cackling. The Holy Spirit is quenched and the power has left. I want you to think about that for a second because that's one of the greatest things that's happened in the last couple of years. The sin of division, resentment, and bitterness because people don't do things that I think they should do. There's no grace and then sin starts to wreak havoc upon our lives and our love for Christ goes and our obsession with self is manifested. When the Holy Spirit's working in your life and mine, we see that the person that's being hurt the most by resentment and bitterness is me. Then you start to hate it and you want to kill it because it's stealing life and joy from you. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. Then you will live. You say, well, how do I practically fight against the flesh. We've talked about that in some detail already, but you know, one of the first things that you have to be aware of is if you want to kill your flesh, you have to starve it. 
Stop feeding your flesh with sinful desires. Starve it. You keep putting logs in the fire, man. It's gonna burn pretty bright. You gotta starve your flesh. Where's your flesh seeking to? For some of you, it's literally like gluttony is the sin. You gotta starve yourself a little bit more than you have been. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you keep feeding the flesh with what it wants to eat. It's amazing how gluttony is such a deterrent of affections for Christ. I mean, you thought about that because you're constantly stuffing your face with physical food that there's no appetite for things other than that. That's one example among hundreds. You gotta starve the flesh. You gotta starve the flesh of lustful intent. You gotta starve the flesh of, again, wanting to gossip. You gotta starve the flesh and obsessing with money. You gotta starve the flesh and then you gotta fight with spiritual weapons. You gotta fight this spiritual battle, spiritual weapons, the spiritual weapons of repentance. Like that's your first step maybe today, along with me, repentance. God forgive me for repentance, fighting this spiritual fight and war or spiritual weapons of prayer is so massive. Think about that, praying and seeking the Lord and asking him and Holy Spirit, fill my life. And Jesus, again, it says in Luke, in Luke 11, if you who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's right there. Those who pray and ask, but if we're not thinking of the Holy Spirit, if we're not focusing and praying and, and loving the Holy Spirit, if we're not worshiping the Holy Spirit, if we're not expecting the Holy Spirit, well, then no wonder. That's why messages like today are so powerful and so important. But if by the Spirit we pray in the Word of God right now, the Word of God is, is, is such a massive weapon, one physical weapon we can hold in our hands on a daily basis, to wage war and worship, worship, what a spiritual weapon that is for the furthering of the Holy Spirit and the denunciation of the flesh in our lives. And even the last couple of days and this, all these verses and truth coming through my life and it's amazing how the flesh wants you to stay away from such things. We feel it every day of it. Past couple of days, putting on worship music and even some older songs that have been so powerfully used on my heart on the themes of the Holy Spirit himself. And I was driving around just, just a couple of days ago, driving around and I put on these songs and I felt my heart getting tender. Like, I need this, church. I need this. Heart getting tender. And the Holy Spirit speaking through these songs of the Holy Spirit. And I pulled into a gas station. And the song was still playing. And I had to fill the car with gas and open the door so I could, I could hear the music playing and hear it loudly. And as it was, music was playing, my eyes began to fill with tears. Number one, because of the gas prices. <laughs> That's brutal, eh? Wow. Wow. That's a reason to cry. But mostly, mostly my eyes were filled with tears because, again, the Holy Spirit is working, and it's just amazing. He's like, if you long for me, if you call out to me, it's, just, it's incredible how that works. Like the heart that longs for Christ, the heart that wants to be heard and fed, the heart that puts aside the TV for a second, puts away social media, and desires to seek him in the intimacy that he provides, as we'll hear in just a few moments. It's amazing how he answers that prayer. Imagine we all did that together. Imagine we did that. This is the pathway in the beginning of seeing sin killed. Hatred for what is evil and sin in our lives. And the love for what is good in the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, I'm obliged to kill my sin. Secondly, and by the Holy Spirit, here comes some really, really good news. I'm just saying what the text says. I'm 100% a child of God. By the Holy Spirit, like, look at, look at where the text goes next here. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
That's amazing. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, capital S, spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Wow. So what are we learning here? The person who is genuinely led by the Holy Spirit means the orientation of their lives is led by the Holy Spirit. The pathway, the direction of your life is spirit-led. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means the direction, the guidance, the leading is by the Spirit of God. What the text tells us here, the person that's led by the Spirit must then be a son or daughter of God. You cannot have the Holy Spirit and not be saved. If the Holy Spirit's in you and leading you, that's a guarantee that you are a child of God. And this becomes the doctrinal reality. I got a few subpoints I want to put on the screen for you behind me, beside me here that we can look at. Number one, notice this, okay? In the Holy Spirit, then I'm subject not to slavery, but adoption. Not slavery. The text says in verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery falling back into fear. So many in our world are enslaved to fear. Fear enslaves so many people. The number one source of fear is the fear of death. Rooted in that, when we are enslaved to sin, deep down we know there's no answer for the afterlife. We are enslaved to sin, therefore we are enslaved to fear but not so for the child of God. Those saved in Jesus Christ right here, you've not received the spirit of slavery. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. I mean, just think about that truth. The, the, the doctrine of the reality of our adoption in Jesus Christ and the Father, it's just, it's so, it's so wonderful. Like, it's so powerful. I just encourage you, think about it more. It's so interesting that in first century Roman world, a, a when adoption occurred, an adoptive son was deliberately chosen by the adopted father. He was deliberately chosen by the adopted father to carry his name, to inherit his estate, and in so many cases, that son would receive the greater affection and emulate the character of the father that adopted him compared to the natural children in the family. That is what's being said about the reality for those of us alive in Jesus Christ, you have received the spirit of adoption. You are fully adopted, 100% a child of God, adopted in the family of God. You will never, ever be cast out, ever. One of our staff team members, and so thankful for our staff team and giftedness and character and blessing and one of our staff team members sent me a song recently, and it was, it's kind of a fun song. It's called I'm So Blessed, and, but she knew I'd like it, and, and, and one of the reasons why, because in one of the lines it says, um, on my best day, I'm a child of God. And I was like, yeah, yeah, best day, doing your best day, you're doing well. I'm a child of God. But it goes on, it says, and on my worst day, I'm a child of God. Hmm, interesting. On my worst day, is not feeling so great. But the reality is the doctrine of the adoption in Jesus Christ and the gospel means whether it's my best day or my worst day, I'm still the child of God. So my best day or worst day means today is still a great day. 
every day's a great day because on my worst day, I'm still the child of God. So therefore, that's just the gospel. This is theology. So we say that a lot around here, right? Today's a great day. If you're alive in Jesus Christ, today's a great day. I'm suffering, I'm trial. There's heartache and suffering, all the stuff. Yeah, but it's still a great day because you are a child of God and that will never, ever be taken from you. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I just encourage you just to say, I mean, I was listening to that song, and I was just like, yeah, on my best day, you feel good, but then on my worst day, powerful. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. It changes each day then, doesn't it? Because you're rooting yourself in the real reason you live and what is to come. And that's what the Lord wants to say to you today, right now too. You are not enslaved. You are adopted And to God's family, we see next year, you are not isolated from God. Rather, you are called to intimacy with God. In verse 15, as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a combination of Aramaic and Greek words for father. Very, very intimate term. A slave would never address their family in this way. Rather, it's reserved for members of the family expressing deep love and intimacy. Abba, Father, our equivalents would be Papa or Daddy in our day today. As a child runs up, I hear that a lot in our home still, especially from our youngest, Daddy, Daddy. And it's just, it's so precious. It just, there's so much loaded in that term of the understanding of how loved the child is. And that's how we are to cry to God the Father. Notice here, we are exhorted in verse 15 by the Spirit to cry. Cry out, Abba, Father. Jesus uses this term in the Garden of Gethsemane of all places. Hey, it's, it's not isolation from God. Some of us feel at times isolation. It's the exact opposite. It's just, it couldn't be further from the truth. The greatest thing Jesus wants is is intimacy. The Father wants intimacy with his children. Intimacy. Crying out to you today for you to cry out to him, Abba Father. Abba Father, I just, I just want you to know today, one of the pastors of this church, I'm being called to a renewed level of intimacy. Hey, the last two years, man, like I just speak for myself. Okay, the last two years, it, it's just messed people up. And every single person, every single person has been impacted one way or another. There's no person that has not been impacted, whether big or small. Every single person has been impacted. I just want to say to you right now, hey, Robbie, how you doing? How you doing? The answer is, honestly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think it's really bad. I really don't really think it's really bad. I just, I'm, just, I'm not really sure. I have a heart for pastors. I love to care for pastors. I speak to so many pastors. I just, the longer I'm in ministry, I can rarely hear a situation in pastoral ministry and not just say, I understand on some level. And the longer I do this, the more grace I have. And the amount of pastors and leaders I talk to and the confusion and the disruption and the hurt and the different pains and the whatever and all the things that have happened, all the things that have gone on the last couple of years and just sit there and say, man, my heart is so burdened for that. It is for me. And this is not a bad thing necessarily at all. I'm just, I'm just not sure. It's just been so weird. But here's what I am sure about. The answer is not horizontal. The answer is vertical. The answer is Jesus. The answer is intimacy with the Father. The answer is to hear the Father wooing and longing and for my answer to be Abba Father. I prayed that prayer more in the last couple of days than I have in a, a long while because of this. He wants to be called out, Abba Father. 
I encourage you to do the same. I'm being led for renewal of intimacy. How about you? How about you? Imagine we join that together. Imagine we put aside the issues and decided to not be but ourselves for a few minutes. Imagine we decided to look up and just really seek the presence of the Lord. You know, I just reminded too as many authors in the past, particularly in one way or another, every morning you wake up, Jesus is sitting there in the chair in your living room, family room or kitchen. He's sitting in the chair and he's just waiting, waiting to talk. He'd love to commune with you. He'd love it. So often what happens, we wake up, we stumble down, we're wiping the sleep of our eyes, we go over to the coffee maker, and we're just like, hey, Jesus, how's it going? Good morning, I'll be with you in just a second. We're over here, and we're doing all the stuff. We get preoccupied, check our phones, and start to do some email, work, whatever. And like, I'll be right there. And we go to work, and all of a sudden, Jesus has been at work. He's there, like, anytime, anyplace, anyway. He's always waiting, just longing. He never judges. He's always forgiving. He's so patient, waiting. We're like, oh, I'm working really busy. Got to do stuff, whatever. I get home, it's dinner time. Jesus is in the family room again. He's sitting there, hey, time now, time now. So the kids, I'll be right back, I'll be there. And we come back and it's late at night and Jesus is sitting there as we go to enter the bedroom and he's just there in the doorway. He's like, you wanna talk now? You want to, I have some stuff I wanna to say to you. You wanna talk now and I love you? Be able to, oh, I'm tired, I'm tired to go to bed. I'll go to bed, I'll, I'll see you in the morning. I'll see you in the morning. Wake up and it all starts again. And Jesus is there every moment of every day with patience and grace and love and affection and care and he'll wait and he'll wait and he'll wait. Listen, but he waits to be wanted. And the Holy Spirit today says to us, it's not isolation, it's intimacy. How the Father longs for intimacy with his children. Next, not accusation, but assurance. Verse 16, the incredible doctrine continues. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Again, quickly here, the Holy Spirit testifies to us that we belong to God. It's one of the the beautiful things of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And he signifies and testifies and reminds us of the guarantee that we are children of God. Assurance. Not accusation. No accusation from the Holy Spirit. Assurance. Ephesians 1 on the screen for you. Ephesians 1. In him, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed on him, listen, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen, who is the guarantee, the down payment of our salvation. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, it is the guarantee of the full salvation to come when Jesus Christ returns. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee and our assurance. Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Is, I'm not saying you feel like every day you're rocking it out and you never have doubt. I do, I do. But at the end of the day and over the long haul, you know like maybe even today so far, the Holy Spirit is working in you and there's a witness and a testifying to the reality that you are not under accusation. You have an assurance that you are a child of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And lastly, this, not rejection, but inheritance. Not rejection, but inheritance. In verse 17, and if we're children of God, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God. Just think about that. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
Some of you are very fired up about your inheritance or inheritance-to-be, or maybe you're bummed because it didn't work out the way you want it to, whatever it is. But you think of the end of the day, right? Whatever inheritance you can get in an earthly sense, I think we're about to pass through the most wealth ever being passed from one generation to another in the history of the world coming up here, at least in this section of the world. All this talk of inheritance, but if you think about it, right, at the end of the day, the worldly inheritance or earthly inheritance, in the end, what would you honestly rather have? And this is important. Would you rather have the inheritance of that which is shared with Jesus Christ, which moth and rust cannot destroy? Are you gonna spend your life for that, which in the end will burn? It's very important. And by the way, just think about that too. Fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Really? Like, just, just pause in that for, what does that look like? Like, it hurts my brain to try to think that through all that Christ has been given, we receive with him as well for eternity? Come on. This is appropriate right here. This is so appropriate. Once every three months, we got to put that up, right? It's just, it's just on a try to ascertain inheritance in Jesus Christ. All of this by the Holy Spirit. You know, at the very end of verse 17, it says, provided we suffer with him. That's next week, okay? I'm gonna leave that for next week. And that's such an important truth and I can't wait. The whole text is coming up on the reality of suffering is proof that the Holy Spirit is in us. But we'll deal with that next week again. But listen, all of this today, all of this is the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, the life that he brings. Church, we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. As it's been said, we believe doctrinally, we have all of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit have all of us? You know, um, it's not so much evident today, but in a few days from now, we will start to see signs of spring. And I want you to take a look at the grass in the coming weeks. I kind of like grass uh, grass has been dormant, holding on to dear life, and so it seems, over the course of the winter. But in a few days from now, the grass will start to return and start to come alive again. In the spring, the sun warms the surface and wakes the grass up. The summer rain, then, of the spring allows for nutrients of the soil to be accessed. Water begins to move through the nutrients, all through the grass blades. The sun then, which is the energy for the whole thing, the sun starts the process of photosynthesis and chlorophyll production and begins to make the grass look green again. The grass then uses that energy to make simple sugars. The grass uses that energy to grow and it becomes to be lush and beautiful again. What a picture of what the Holy Spirit does to the believer. Holy Spirit brings vitality, strength, life, and color. Some of you, if you're honest, some of you, and I understand, some of you in the last two years, maybe last few months, you've felt dormant. Dormant. The Holy Spirit's like, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. It's time to show signs of life again. It's desperately needed in the time we live. It's time for the Holy Spirit to have his way. God, help us, please, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, have your way. Lead us to kill our sin and hate our sin. Give us the power to do so. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you are moving in tremendous encouragement, affection, and love. Holy Spirit, I pray you are bringing brokenness, and I pray you are giving hunger and desire. You will place hunger and desire in us beyond this world, and certainly not for our sin, but you will give us affection for you, Jesus. Maybe we start today, a church. I just encourage you to pray where you are, what you need to say to the Lord. Maybe we start today, just Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of not doing this and not living this out and forgive us for the neglect of the Holy Spirit himself. Forgive us. We repent. We repent. We repent of our sin. You can name it right now. We repent, Lord, of following our own ways. But now we desire to turn to you. Now we desire to be filled with you. Now we desire to remember that we're children of God for a purpose and we are under obligation We are under obligation to the Holy Spirit for all that he's done for us who are saved in Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, put a song in our hearts. Lead us as your church. We need you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.